We'll look at this psalm, um, Psalm uh, 130. I'd like to read it first, and then we're going to go back through it, Lord willing, just take it apart verse by verse. Again, uh, Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. As we look at this psalm, the uh, psalmist starts it off, he said, out of the depths. You know, you get to thinking uh, in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalms 18, verse 16, it talks about using um, that afflictions being compared to being uh, in deep water. And the psalmist is talking about from his heartfelt afflictions that he's going through. It could be uh, afflictions or trials, situations that he's going through. And from the depths of these uh, trials... Uh, he talks about that he that I have cried unto thee, O Lord, and it could also be the depths of a you know the deep place of the heart that's troubled by sin. And uh, the man sitting here and he's he's pleading from his heart, from the depths of his afflictions, and he says, "I cried unto thee, O Lord." You know, it's important to know what you're going to do. When you find yourself in the depths of an affliction. You know, there's an old saying that when you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you do is quit digging. You know, that's real good in marital situations and stuff like that when you've already put your foot in your mouth. Uh, But in this situation, it's critical when you find yourself in the depths of your affliction. It may have come on you suddenly. It may have just finally blown up in your face, whatever the situation is, but it's important to know where are you going to turn when this time comes? Who are you going to call out to? Because the critical thing in the beginning is to stop the descent. It can be in your spirits. I mean, when you get really bad news, I mean, you know, I've been in situations business-wise where I've sit in meetings and to the best of my knowledge, everything I owned or ever would own depended on how this meeting turned out. Those are not real pleasant meetings to be in. And I pray the Lord never puts me in another one, but that's his affair and he'll do what he sees fit. But I guarantee you there's times when you almost feel like your bowels are going to turn to water. I mean, you, you find yourself really wound up, really tense. And you need to know where you're going to go for your comfort, where you're going to go for your security. Where you, if you're depending on flesh, you're messed up. It's just not going to work out. And uh, so you, like Brother John has mentioned many a time, that he prayed that the Lord would be there before he got there. In other words, Lord, you know what's going to happen, what this meeting means or whatever. Be there before I get there. And, and there is a comfort in knowing who's on the throne. 
and how much he loves us. But it's important that you know in your heart who you're going to go to because you may get a phone call and be in the depths instantaneously. It may not have been a descent, a slow descent. It may have just hit you right between the eyes. And you need to know who you're going to go to. How are you going to handle this? I remember Brother David sharing with me that when people come in for counseling and the marriage isn't working out and the other party doesn't wants their marriage to survive, he always asks them a question. Well, what are you going to do if it don't work out? What if the other party doesn't change their mind? Are you going to bail out on God? You need to answer that question. You know, where, where, do you, where do you stand on things? And, and so out of the depth, he cried unto the Lord. Um, one of the things that when we do pray to the Lord and cry out to the Lord, it needs to be earnestly, it needs to be constantly, and it needs to be truthfully. Because sometimes we've brought it on ourselves. You know, sometimes it's not necessarily the sins of commission that get us in trouble, but it's the sins of omission. Not necessarily dealing with things when we should have dealt with them. It would be a lot easier for me to have lost weight if I would have dealt with it when it was 5 and 10 pounds than it is today. It's, and it would have been easier 30 years ago if I had changed my lifestyle when my work became more of a desk job instead of being out on the production floor. But there's other areas of our life, our, our personal Bible study, our personal prayer habits, um, the way we raise our children, uh, the different things that we're willing to pay the price today, but if we're not willing to pay the price because of that sin of omission, we're likely to find ourselves in the depths and we need to come to the Lord for the mercy that it's going to take to get us out of it. So it's important that, like I said, not only that we're earnest in our prayers and constant in our prayers, but that we're truthful uh, in our prayers, that we really do the self-examination that the Word of God will help us do. But then when we see what the Word of God tells us, then what do we do about it? The, um, but the neat thing is, is that from the greatest depths that we may find ourselves in, we have the privilege as the children of God, to call unto God the Father and know that we'll be heard. Because of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will hear us. Let me ask you this, something to to think on. Which answered prayers do you remember most clearly? Were they the ones that really, when, when the bacon was in the fire... You know, some of these things that we go through, we wonder, why are we going through this? But let me ask you, which one built your faith up the most for the rest of the walk in this life that you're going to have to walk? It's when the Lord, you know, I heard our pastor we had up in Ohio, he made a comment several times, I've repeated it many a time, that when you go through a trial and you try to be faithful, it's really not a chance for you to prove how faithful you are. But you being faithful gives God his opportunity to prove to you just how faithful he is. And that's what helps your faith grow. Your confidence. You look back, if he can get me through this, there's certain areas in my life that I just don't worry about as much. There's still plenty of things I do let Satan get to victory, and I fret and worry about things. 
But there's a lot of things God has just proven to me. He's got that under control. And I've been able to turn that over to him, and I sleep just fine on those issues. Like I said, I'm st- he's still working on me, and i got a feeling all of us have different areas of our life. But the thing is, he had to put me in a situation where it looked like that was going to overwhelm me, and then he gave me the victory through that. And because of that, that remembrance of those th- situations, it's helped me put those issues to rest. Put them, just turn them over to him. How many times, you know, you hear the old saying many times, how many times have we gone to the altar, either here or in our heart, and turned something over to God, but then we pick it right back up and take it back with us? You know, we just won't leave it there. Well, God has to sometimes put us in the depths. And uh, I was reading Spurgeon when I was studying for this, and he talks about the fact that there's some pearls of wisdom that this psalmist learned. But he said, guess what? Pearls are always found in the depths. And so you wind up needing to, we go through these things, but the Lord is there with us and he's trying to help us and teach us. We see that um, it's also important to know who to plead to. And in the key verse, in verse 2, the Lord, hear my voice, let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. You know, it's important that we plead in the name of the Lord. That we, we realize who our advocate is. And our advocate is the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, who loved us so much that he went to the cross for us. But now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father being our advocate. I mean, who do you want better to plead your case? But the thing is, we, have to, we need to go to him. I find a lot of times in my life until I truly turn something over to him, he's just going to let me have it if that's what I choose to do. If I want to keep it and I want to worry it and I want to fret over it, well, have at it, Rick. I know how it's going to work, but I can fix it if you'll just turn it over to me. Uh, But until I get done with my pride, dealing, trying to deal with it myself and just finally turn it over in humble submission... Uh, then he goes to work. And when we finally cry to the Lord, you know, we can be, our voice can almost be faint for, by reason of the distance of the depths that we're in. It can be broken because of the distress that we find ourselves in. And though unworthy on, on account of sin, we know that our Father will listen to us for Jesus' sake. Because he is our Savior and he has paid the price for us. And we have an advocate in the Father, with the Father in our Lord Jesus Christ. We see in verse 3, he makes a remarkable statement. He said, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, and then look at this, O Lord, who shall stand? You know, can we justify ourselves before God? I know one thing, Rick can't plead not guilty. You know, uh, there's, there's enough evidence to convict me of my behavior and my sinful habits. Um, you know, just think of what a mess we would be in if God strictly just dealt with us according to your, our knowledge. Did you know that's a sin? Did you know that, that my word says not to do that, Rick? 
you know, uh, be it the sin of omission or sin of commission, what a mess we would find ourselves in if God dealt with us strictly uh, according to the rules, you might say. But but it's really neat, and I praise God, uh, you know, the statement, he's, the very next verse, verse 4, the first word, but. You know, it says, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Um, you know, it's needed. God alone can give it. It may be had, and we can know when we have it. As far as the forgiveness of sin, we can know in our heart that God has forgiven us. He tells us the recipe. If we're faithful to uh, confess our sin and repent of our sin, that he'll forgive us of our sin. And we know that he'll do it. He'll keep his word. He, he, he's obligated. He's obligated himself just because of his nature that he'll forgive us of our sin. And the thing is for us to also realize that it, in God's nature, there is a desire to forgive. And that's, you know, that, to me, that's a great comfort. I, I've met many of people through the years that have a thought that God somehow is out to get them. That God's like keeping a deal, you know, a record of everything and he's going to deal with me according to this. That's not God's nature. You know how I can prove it to you? The Lord Jesus Christ. If it was God's nature not to be forgiving, he never would have sent his son. But the thing is, it's in God's nature to, uh, to be forgiving. And he sits there and says, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And that key phrase, um, you know, have you ever thought what makes us realize we need forgiveness? Have you ever stopped and really thought about what makes us realize that we need forgiveness? Well, it comes from his word, but I think it's an understanding of God's power to deal with us if we don't get things straight with him. I mean, how many of us really, really want to force God into the role of having to deal with us? And yet I must admit there's been times when I've done it in my life. I've known that I was hanging on to something I shouldn't hang on to. I, I heard messages. I knew it. I wouldn't deal with it. And so off to the woodshed we go. And we'll stay there until Rick decides he don't want it no more. You know, he's faithful, isn't he? You know, um, Brother uh, Harlan, uh, he used to be a member here with our church years ago, he shared with me, that he said, you'd do something wrong. And his dad said, you're going to get a whooping. But he said, he might wait a week. But he never forgot. He said, he did, it just hung over your head. You know, he, for, you know, it might be one day, it might be three days, it might be a week. But for, sooner or later, he's going to say, let's go. And, and he said, you, you just about got to the point where you thought, he really has forgot this time. But no, he hadn't forgot. Uh, that would be terrible. My dad's, it was always quick, it was violent, it was over with. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and I preferred it that way, actually. Usually it was, I was in shell shock before it ever got started. And, but uh, he didn't like doing it, so he tried to do it thorough enough. He didn't have to do it often. And, um, but the thing is, God's faithful not to let us off the hook. Because it ain't for our best to go down that road. 
And so, uh, so we're to fear him. Uh, we're supposed to realize that we need forgiveness. But the fear or respect of understanding his power to deal with us if we don't choose to confess our faults. It brings about that respectful fear, but it humbles us. It brings us to a realization, yeah, I do have to answer up. You know, like a parent, a good parent, when they whip a child, it's only after they told the child, don't do that. And then the child decides they're going to do it anyway. And then you realize they're no longer thinking they have to listen to me. And you've got to reconvince them that they do have to listen to you. Well, when we get to that point in our heart where we realize that we have sinned against a holy God... And it isn't in our best interest to stay in this situation. And sometimes he puts us in the depths, depths that we've created by our own actions. But when we're faithful to turn to him and realize through a humble, respectful fear of him that uh, we that his mercy is available to us. But when his mercy and his love is extended to us, it should draw out of us a hatred of sin. Let me ask you this. Each one of us, you can think back in your own time, because I know the scriptures teach that all of us, if we're saved, we've been chased by the Lord. The scriptures teach us that, right? He's chased every one of us. Uh, if we're children, we've messed up enough, won't listen, know better, decide to keep going down that road. And the Bible tells us that uh, in Paul's writings that the Lord's dealt with every one of us that way. If it hurt enough, you're not going to want to go down that road anymore. You ought to have a respectful fear of that sin and a realization that that ain't good for Rick. And usually the bad thing is if we're family people and stuff, we're, we're taking other folks down that same road with us. They have to share in that with us. And so we ought to have a hatred of that sin, a realization that God loves us so much, he isn't going to let us play with that. And we forced him into an unnatural act of wrath against us. Because that's not his natural way. He doesn't want to, uh, to be wrathful. He wants to bless us. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's only when we scotch our heels and refuse to listen that he's forced to do the other things. But So it should draw out of us a hatred of sin. We see in verse 5, he talks about, I wait for the Lord... Oh, my, uh, my soul doth wait. Uh, we'll read the whole verse. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in his word do I hope. Do you realize that waiting is hoping? If you're in the depths and if you're sinking, are you going to wait for whatever it is you think your rescue is going to be if you don't have any confidence in that? I mean, if I'm in the water and I'm sinking, which is the illustration that's being given to us in the depth, and we're sinking in our distresses, if you don't think someone's about to dive in and pull you out or throw you the rope or do whatever's needed to get you out of there, are you just going to sit there and say, well, I don't have any confidence they're going to do anything, but I'm just going to sit here? No, you're going to start looking for plan B, you know, swimming, whatever it is you're going to be doing. And the thing is, so to wait on the Lord is to have hope and confidence in the Lord. It's a sign of faith. And then uh, the key is, is waiting for the Lord. But even as we studied last week about Joseph, 
God left Joseph in that situation for 14 years and at one stage or another. And uh, so the thing is, though, go with me, if you would, to um, Mark chapter 9. Hold your place here. We'll be back. But I said Mark, but Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. And starting in um, verse um, 27, it says here, it says, And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Now, we'll finish that in just a second, but do you get a picture there? Jesus is walking down the street of this town, and these men are yelling, these blind men are yelling that for him to have mercy on them, and he doesn't stop. He just keeps going. And these blind men are staggering along or being led along by other people, and they follow him all the way to whatever house he goes to. He doesn't acknowledge them. He doesn't turn around to them. He doesn't take care of their need right then on the street when they're asking for it. He just keeps on walking. And they have to follow him all the way into the house, wherever it is. And I don't know if it was a 100 yards or if it was a mile or two miles. Now, does that sound a little crass? Does that sound a little cold-hearted that you got these blind men stumbling along trying to Reach and they're pleading with the Lord for mercy, and he just keeps on going? Let me ask you this. For the help that they needed, was there anywhere else they could go? And that's what we got to come to terms with. That if it's, say, loved ones that we're worried about, and they're making decisions that are breaking our hearts, or we got loved ones that aren't saved, and out of our depths we're crying unto the Lord for them to get saved, who can intercede in that? Who else can intercede in that? And so the thing is, we just got to stick with it. We got to be constant in our prayers, earnest in our prayers, and truthful in our prayers. We may actually have to say, Lord, you're going to have to break that person before they're going to come to the saving knowledge. You son, my business partner was that way. He was lost. I'd witnessed to him for years. He, he heard message after message, but he had a prideful streak. And during, I'll never forget, we were sitting there during the middle of an invitation. Our pastor at the time had preached a message about salvation so sweet, so pure, so simple, so easy to understand. I just knew my friend was going to get saved. And so the first invitation, he was standing right beside me, the invitation, I didn't look at him. I'm, I'm not going to do anything to distract him. But the first stanza goes by and he doesn't move. And the second stanza starts, and I look out of the corner of my eye, and he's doing everything but whistling and looking around. He's doing anything and everything he can to break the convicting power that he's going through. And literally, my fist doubled up, and I almost smacked him right there in the middle of church. I, I'm not, you ever had a kid of yours almost get hurt real bad? You know, I had a friend of mine, his daughter fell out in front of a car. And the car luckily slammed on the brakes and stopped. 
And the girl was relating to the father, said, Mama was hugging me and cussing me and kissing me and hitting me all at the same time. You know, because this child almost got hurt, you know, almost hurt themselves, something so precious. And his friendship mean, meant a lot to me, still means a lot to me. And he was playing games with it. And I had to pray, Lord, you're going to have to break, Steve. And, and the Lord honored that prayer. And I won't go into the details, but the Lord broke him all the way down and put him in the hospital. And, uh, and, but he got saved there, too. And, uh, and he'll thank God. he thanks God openly for the Lord breaking him and saving him. He's a song leader and a Sunday school teacher, everything else, for 30 years now. But the thing is, we have to decide that we're going to wait on the Lord. We have to realize where our help is going to come from and just wait. These blind men needed a miracle that even today can't be performed more than likely short of the Lord doing it. And they knew it, and so they didn't let go. And they kept crying unto the Lord. He was there in physical person, but they were crying unto him. As we look in the verse again, it says, And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord, Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were open, and straightway Jesus charged them, saying, See see that no man know it. But they went on out and published it anyway. I've often wondered what the Lord really thought. He told them not to publish it, but they went out praising God. But in some of the situations, it made the Lord's ability to stay in that town impossible. Because of the crowds and the multitudes that came and he had to depart. Anyway, that's, that's a different story. Uh, if the Lord told you not to do something, you probably just ought not do it. But at the same time, they were wanting to praise their Lord. Um, but the thing is also, it says in that same verse, in verse 5, it says there and it says at the end of it, And in his word do I hope. We need to realize as we pray and we cry out to God for the relief that we're looking for, that it's in accordance to his promises that he has made to us and not our own design. We can't just say, you know, all this would be fixed, Lord, if you just let me win the lottery. You know, I wouldn't have to work no more. I wouldn't have to do this. You know, you know that's probably a prayer that ain't going to get answered. You know, it may not be good English, but you know where I'm coming from. Uh, it's got to be according to his promises that he has made us in his word. That's what he has committed himself to. And so it's in our best interest to understand as much of the word of God as we possibly can and cling to those promises and claim those promises and know those promises have been made to us and that we can ask the Lord to honor them in our life. In verses uh, 5 and 6, um, we see that the psalmist speaks four times of his hope in God and his word. He speaks of waiting, he speaks of hoping, and watching. Um, he, in this verse here, we'll read it, it sits there in verse 6. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. 
I know it's a, we just talked about gambling. It's a bad, bad thing. Uh, but if I forced you all to take a bet and you had to choose one or the other, which one do you think is, do you think the sun is going to rise in the morning? I mean, is the mathematical odds probably in your favor on that one? What he's saying in this verse is he's even more confident in God's mercies. That's what he's saying. He sits there and he says in verse 6, he says, My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. In other words, the people that are watching for the morning, they're getting around, you know, they're getting ready for their day to get started, and they're waiting for the sun to come up. They have absolute confidence, the Lord, that the sun's going to come up, and they're going to step out and do whatever it is they designed to do. And he's saying in this verse that he has more confidence that God's going to show his mercy, that his nature is to be merciful, and that I've cried unto him, and I've cried unto him according to his word, and I'm claiming the promises that are in his word, and I have confidence, more confidence than even those people do, that the sun's going to come up in the morning. That's a lot of confidence, isn't it? But the thing is, can our God lie? And if he's made promises to you in the word of God, now a lot of those promises are conditional. As far as you do this and God will do that. But the thing is, God is making a commitment that he'll honor his word and that one of the things we know is that he's merciful. And then we'll look at verses 7 and 8. We'll read the verses and then we'll talk about them briefly. He said, Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And with him is plenteous redemption. You know, redemption is holy of God. That's something for us to remember. In Exodus chapter 3 and uh, verses 7 and 8, it tells us that I have come down to deliver them. And then we see that it's through a person. Redemption is through a person, our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we know that from John 3:16. And redemption is by blood. Um, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, it says, And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. But not only does the blood of Christ redeem us from the guilt and penalty of sin, but the power of the Spirit delivers us from the dominion of sin. Go with me, if you would, as we get ready to close here, but to Ephesians chapter 2. As the scripture was telling us back here that he would deliver us from all of our iniquities and that there's plenteous redemption in the Lord. And we see in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also... We all had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, 
even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not that of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This psalmist's confidence was in that the, the Lord was merciful, that he was plenteous, as the scripture says, in redemption. In other words, if we will go to the Lord in a humble heart, crying unto him, according to his word, and seek his face, he will forgive us, he will show mercy to us, even if it's things that we brought on ourselves, but also just extending the hand of grace that's necessary, even when the issues are not something we brought on ourselves, but we just found ourselves in the depths of uh, a, a trial or a crisis, or it can be the depths of our heart as far as our heart being broken because of people that we love and care about and the situations that they find themselves in. And we, we cry out to our God, and we just need to remember that he's really the only one who can make a difference, but that it's his nature to be merciful, to be forgiving, and to be helpful. And he does it all for us according to his word, And because of what our Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, he paid our sin debt, made us children of God, and gave us an advocate with the Father and an opportunity to become before his throne. And then, like I said, in in this life, those are things that we can all claim, but we also got a great heritage to look forward to, a future to look forward to. When it says here in verse 7 in Ephesians, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. It's just going to be amazing to think of the things that God's got for us in glory. And the thing is, he's, he's wanting the same God that's prepared all those things for us and has them for us is also willing to be there for us today. But we have to be willing to turn to him and cry to him for the help that we need. Anybody have any final thoughts or comments? Yes, brother.